Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with WWE WrestleMania 38 Night 1 Instant Analysis. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here just minutes after WrestleMania Saturday concluded to break down every single thing that happened on night one of the granddaddy of of them all the showcase of the immortals the show of shows wrestlemania no i am not using the current tagline that wwe is using for 2022 but the silver king is back vintage chris vanini is along for the ride literally he is currently driving home from wrestlemania in dallas texas and we have an absolutely loaded show where we are going to break down everything that happened on night one of wrestlemania every single match on the show matches that got added to the show and matches that even did not happen on the show so yes we have an absolute ton to get to we are not going to waste much time. Let me remind you off the top that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating for this show on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love this podcast, why you listen, and why they should subscribe. This is our biggest time of the year, and these reviews and ratings are more important than ever. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We are tweeting live during all of these WrestleMania shows, every WWE and AEW TV show as well. We post pre- and post-show polls, so you get to vote and give your opinion on what you th- think of special pay-per-views. And every single time we drop a new episode, we do it on Twitter. We let you know as soon as it comes out. We also hold live shows on Twitter spaces, including pre-shows for NXT Stand and Deliver and WrestleMania already Saturday. And of course, we will be doing it again on Sunday. So please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. At this point, I would normally welcome Vintage Chris Vanini into the show. But as you can tell, our audio may sound a little bit different. We are taping on a different medium uh, tonight because he is in the car. What we normally use does not work on mobile devices. So he's going to stay muted just for a little bit longer as the Silver King takes care of our instant analysis tradition here. More appropriate than ever tonight for WrestleMania as I crack open a cold one. And I am rocking with Oh, that is foaming like hell. Uh, Dew South Brewery Caramel Cream Ale. The brewery is now defunct. I have about 12 of these left in my refrigerator. It's my favorite beer, and I am cracking one open tonight. We only do this for Instant Analysis Podcasts. Our normal shows, yes, are completely normal, Um, but we do imbibe a little bit uh, when we do the Instant Analysis just to kind of create a little bit of a different atmosphere. But Vintage is on the phone right now. He is driving home from Dallas. We are going to get into this entire card pre-show grades, match breakdowns, grades for the matches, post-show grades, all of it. But Chris, real quick, how much fun did you have tonight at WrestleMania? Well, I am not cracking open a cold one on because I have to drive home, folks. So do not that would be and drive. Illegal. Yes, do not do that. But oh man, I am, I am, I still got goosebumps from all that. I'm still wired from, from everything. It's only midnight local time here. It's not bad. I got about a Less than an hour drive ahead of me, me and my brother and I 
uh, went to the show. We'll be back there again tomorrow. Man, just unbelievable scene. I'm just feeling great coming out of that show, and I can't wait for night two, but holy cow, we had so many big moments in night one. What's wild about WrestleMania, at least for night one, there's still a night two. We don't know what's going to happen, of course, on Sunday. But what is wild is I cannot remember a WrestleMania that I came into with lower expectations and not so much dreading it. I mean, I, I you know, we, we thought it would be a good show, but I came into this. I was like, man, they didn't build this card really well. There's a lot of things that are left off the show, things that we would have done differently, not expecting a great show. And they just hit me upside the head, at least as far as I'm concerned. So look, let's get into the WWE WrestleMania 38 night one instant analysis. The way we begin this is we go over our pre-show grades, our expectation grades, and we did it for the entirety of WrestleMania night one and night two combined. The Silver King said it would be a B WrestleMania vintage Chris Vanini going to the show, maybe a little bit overly optimistic, maybe not, maybe just uh, a little omniscient here uh, going into WrestleMania came in with a minus as far as you, the listeners on Saturday, you guys voted 37% a 54% B, 10% C, 0% D to F. To me, that averages out to a B. So you guys basically agreed with me. You thought we were getting a very good, but not great WrestleMania over two nights. Chris, though, you were certainly more optimistic heading in. Wait a minute. Is that the first time we've ever had a 0% D and E? Not only did we, well, D and F, because there's no such thing as E and grades. Uh, Not only was it 0% in the pre-show, but spoiler alert, it's also 0% in the post-show. It's the first first time I've ever seen it for WWE, AEW, NXT, anything. I've never seen 0% before. Yeah, I know. I I expected, I mean, I love AEW. I expected, we always get a couple troll responses in these polls. People just saying something was an F beforehand or an F going in. That's that's incredible. So I, I said A minus going in because I just thought well, part of it was because I knew I was going, and there's an extra excitement with that for sure. But the, the other part is that the mania is usually pretty good, and I thought it would kind of over deliver based on what we thought going in. I, I thought they obviously they they did the two night last year for the first time with crowds, and I thought they balanced it really well and gave you a lot of moments. So I, I, I kind of thought that uh, would be the same. I was still. Uh, even the things we knew were going to happen, like a Cody Rhodes return, were still unbelievable to, to see it finally happen and experience it. We'll get into that one specifically, uh, yeah. not too far. But, but man, just they, they, they created some moments. Every match was solid to good to great. Um, that was my thought. But going in, uh, I just kind of thought they would you know, over-deliver. And you're right. We talked about it last week, two weeks ago, that we thought there was a chance they could over-deliver because the expectations were low. And that's where you get the, the, the B grade from you and the listeners. Yeah, well, that, that's pretty much what I said coming in. It was my expectations. It's not that they were low. They were. I was managing them. It was. It, I was even Steven kind of coming in, but it presented an opportunity for WWE to exceed my expectations, which is not an opportunity it normally has. Generally, the pay-per-views are as good as the job WWE does building the card and building the storylines. In this case, at least on night one, you know, a little bit of a spoiler alert, I think most people will agree they over-delivered. Now, yes, we are getting to Stone Cold Steve Austin. We are getting to Cody Rhodes. We are getting to Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair and so much more. 
briefly, before we get into all the matches, I just wanted to note the set looked incredible. The star was so massive. It was eye-catching on TV. And Chris, we'll talk about it, you know, in person. Uh, but it was great pyro on the open. The Cowboys cheerleaders doing the intro was probably unnecessary, but I assume everyone in the stadium loved it because there were a lot of Cowboys fans there. This was a very fast-paced show. And I know a lot of you will say, well, wait a minute. There was a lot of video packages on the show. That's true. But especially when it started, it was match video package, match video package. There was not what I would consider a lot of extraneous stuff, meaning things that happened live on screen that were not directly related to the wrestling matches. I was surprised WWE did not start with a huge opening match, but what they did in building this card is they went from the low card up to the main card, up through the main events, which anyone who's a longtime listener of mine on this podcast, other podcasts I've been on, is what I beg wrestling companies to do. Build your major pay-per-view cards like UFC and like major boxing events. Start with the smallest, least important matches and work your way up to the main event. So yes, WrestleMania did start slow, but I wasn't bothered by it given how much I knew was potentially still left in the chamber. And what I ultimately thought is that WWE ended up booking it perfectly. Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair and Seth Rollins versus Cody Rhodes, as far as I'm concerned, were the co-main events of the show. And they ran them back to back as you would co-main events. They then gave us a breather with the Hall of Fame, some video packages. We get Charlotte Flair versus Ronda Rousey, which is what they wanted to be the main event. And then freaking Stone Cold Steve Austin to close the show, not just closing the show, an impromptu, unadvertised, no-holds-barred match with Kevin Owens. WWE does not get a lot right, okay? But they absolutely, as far as I'm concerned, nailed the match order of this card, Chris. That, that's a good point. You kind of realize, like, halfway through, I even said to my brother, like, wait, I was like, oh, wait a minute, we've gotten three matches, and they were all the, like, the matches that we weren't all that interested in. They're really just totally building this thing up. And the whole, the second half of this show is going to be ridiculous. And it, and it was. And, you know, like, I think you and I both expected the uh, uh, Bianca Becky, maybe, or a women's title to, to main, to, to open the show. And so when we got Boogs, I was like, oh, that's interesting. We're starting with that. But I got to say, you know, we'll get into that later. But opening with the Boogs Nakamura entrance really got everybody fired up in that stadium right off the bat. And really, the energy sustained throughout the whole show. It, it, it never really burned out. And I think possibly because of the way that they built that they built the card. Absolutely. They, they managed my expectations almost live as the show was going on. And I think that is what was so impressive of me for me because they don't normally do that. So I do want to give credit where it's due. But okay, enough prelude. Forget it. Let's get into night one of WrestleMania 38. Instant analysis style. We're going to give you results. We're going to give you grades. We may even touch on a couple things that happened on the Go Home SmackDown. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to start with the main event and almost exactly work our way down the card from what happened last to what happened first. I did reorder a couple things because of the story I kind of want to tell and some of the conversations I want to have. But the four big segments, the four big matches are all going to, we're going to start with those and then we're going to work our way to everything else. So we need to start, Chris, with the Kevin Owens show in the main event, Kevin Owens and guest 
Steve Austin. Owens at the ring. He went on a rant. He called Texas the ass of America and so on. After a few minutes, the glass shattered. Austin was in his signature gear, strutting all across the ramp. Then he randomly left, and he came back in an ATV that he drove around the ring. Austin then tore up some of the set, fixed his knee brace as KO cut the music, and there were really loud Austin chants. KO made Austin sit for a conversation. Stone Cold went on a rant, calling him a stupid son of a bitch, trashing Texas, whole deal. Uh, The crowd was in the palm of his hand the entire time. Owen said he lied to get Austin on the show. He did not want to talk. He wanted to challenge him to a match, not just any match, a no-holds-barred match. Austin was speechless and didn't respond, and I thought it was really interesting the way they didn't just have him jump at the opportunity. Owens told him, take his ass back to his ranch. Austin said, you know what? Fine, I'll have my last match in the same city I had my first match and demanded a referee come down. And all of a sudden, a ref runs down the ramp, the bell rings, and the crowd goes wild. Chris, you were there. We'll pause really quick before we get to the match itself because this was unexpected. I'm sitting at home, and I'm like, this man is not going to have a wrestling match 19 years after he retired. Yet, the freaking bell rings, and we're set for a match. And then I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a four-minute squash. It was not. What was going through your mind when you saw this happening? So when, when Kevin Owens starts talking, I think everybody was kind of not paying super close attention because they were just waiting for Austin. They're like, how quickly are we going to get that glass break? Everybody's got their phones out uh, trying to record the moment it happens. And the, the audio in the stadium, that is such a massive stadium. Didn't catch everything Owen said, but you could kind of tell the people who were had better spots and boo, and then you know to boo, and and then obviously even when Austin came out, couldn't make out everything he said, but you kind of figured out what the cues were. And but when, when Austin first came out, and I saw he had the two knee braces on, that's when I knew something was going to. That's when I knew we were going to get something. I, I was like, he's, he's got the knee braces on. He's not doing that. If it's just a stunner and a beer, and that's it. So I can't wait to see what happens. And then we. You know, it was fun. And then when Kevin Owens says, uh, that's not why I brought you out here, that's when everybody in the crowd, oh, that's when we kind of realized what was about to happen. And so that built up to a... a, a, a so like I said, the bell rang, the crown went absolutely nuts. Austin did his punches and stopped a mud hole in KO 10 times. He grabbed the beer, took a swig, then did another 10 mud hole stomps. He got another beer, took another swig. KO rammed him into the barricade and post outside. Stone Cold set up a table outside, rammed Owens into it. Then he threw him over the barricade and they fought into the crowd with KO hitting a vertical suplex onto the concrete, taking Austin down. Austin then threw KO off the barricade onto the announce table, chugged two beers, punched his head in. Stone Cold stopped KO from stealing the ATV by jumping behind him as if they were together and driving it up the ramp onto the top of the stage. He suplexed Owens on the stage twice and then rolled his ass down the entire ramp. Austin got two more beers and chugged them. I think it was actually for a refreshment because he was like savoring them. I think he needed a blow for a second. Owens caught him with a perfect stunner for a 2.5. Stone Cold sold the shit out of it too, which was really impressive. Austin ducked the chair shot and the chair ricocheted off the top rope into KO's face. Austin then hit a stunner for the clean one, two, three in 14 minutes. KO cell wasn't amazing, but Austin chugged more beers. And when KO stood up again, He had a second stunner that KO sold like death. He sold it perfectly. Owens then rolled out of the ring and got dragged out of the stadium by two massive Texas cops. 
So freaking funny. Austin kept celebrating. He said his signature line because Stone Cold said so. He even chugged the beer with the referee. Then the music stopped and Byron Saxton jumps in the ring. And it, it threw me for a second. And then I remembered what they were doing. Austin hit the stunner. Byron sold it full rock style, like legit Dwayne Johnson sell. It was a great callback to the start of the pandemic when Byron and Austin had their moment on 316 day. Then Austin brings his brother into the ring that looks exactly like him, obviously, because they're brothers. And he gets to chug a beer with his brother in the middle of the ring at the end of the main event of WrestleMania night one. This was fucking incredible. Like this guy has not wrestled in 19 years and he goes nearly 15 minutes taking bumps, selling his ass off for a stunner. The segment in total went probably 35 minutes. KO got protected with the chair shot. Not that losing to Stone Cold Steve Austin requires protection in any way. This was way better than I expected. I mean, we basically got a full match. I don't care if it was no holds barred. We got a full celebration. The crowd was going wild. I don't know how you can beat this for nostalgia purposes. A grade? I don't know. Whatever. 3.5 stars and a B. Like, it wasn't a great match, obviously. But it wasn't about the match. It was about the moment. And the moment what WWE delivered having Steve Austin in the main event of WrestleMania, it was perfect. It, it was incredible. And think about it. We, we got a Stone Cold match at WrestleMania, and it wasn't. they didn't even really advertise it. <laughs> like, like, like it, that's an example of kind of over-delivering. We, we had wondered, you know, this, this, whole, this whole Austin, uh, you know, Owens thing, you know, the Austin view, whether it's a match, whether it's a fight, whatever, we didn't quite know. But we were kind of hoping, hey, there's, there's a really good chance they could do more. And they did. And look, the, the first couple of Stone Cold kicks were pretty slow. He was walking slow a little bit. And I was like, eh, I don't know if Austin's really got it here. We'll see where this goes. But as soon as he threw Owens over the barricade and, and um, Austin went over the barricade, he leaped over that barricade real fast. And that was when I was like, oh, he's... Okay, he's still got a little, he's still got something in there because he was moving, he jumped over that barricade lightning quick compared to the way he was walking. And then he, and then as it went on, it got better. Like, like, I think everybody at the beginning was just expecting, oh, it might be a two minute squash match. So it, it took a moment, I think, for the crowd to fully get into it because they needed to, they needed to understand that it was going to be more than that. And as soon as you saw the concrete suplex bump, that's when you're like, all right, he's taking this. Real seriously, I don't know. Stone Cold's been watching Sting jump off it through tables or something like that, and figured he had to get his his own stuff in. But yeah, he really, really brought it. Uh, that was incredible. Yeah, it was. And you know, I don't need, like. I feel like we should talk more about this. Like, I feel like it's Stone Cold Steve Austin returning in the main event of WrestleMania. It's 2022, and Austin main evented it. And by the way, he sold the stunner. Like, I just I can't get my mind around. What I just yeah, saw got, in that moment. We got we got Stone Cold. He took the stunner from Kevin Owens. And <laughs> sold it, it extremely well. Like He took it very well. And all I could think of when, when Kevin Owens, uh, when, when they both were on the ATV riding back, I just, I was like, Kevin Owens has to be smiling like a little girl right now inside. Like, I can't, he's in a main event match with, with Austin and he gets to ride the ATV with him too. Like, man, that is freaking special. By the way, I saw this incredible tweet. This is how I'll wrap it up. It's from... I don't even know who this guy is, but his name's Trevor Dame um, on Twitter. He has 9,000 followers. Not that that means anything, but it's a good tweet. He goes, all those years ago, CM Punk mocked Kevin Owens on the indies. 
made fun of him for wearing a t-shirt. 17 years later, Kevin is getting Punk's unrealized dreams, main eventing WrestleMania, a match with Steve Austin, and he's doing it in his t-shirt. That is balls on accurate. I mean, no hate for CM Punk, but the way he treated Kevin Owens on the indies, it's well known. Um, and I, K- I didn't know this. I didn't know that. Actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he treated him like shit on the indies. But but think about what KO did. Think about all the people saying, oh, Kevin Owens, he has to go to AEW. Sami Zayn has to go to AEW. These guys are having the time of their freaking lives. People were mad Kevin Owens didn't. Let's not forget. It wasn't that long ago, Chris. People were mad that Kevin Owens didn't have a match at WrestleMania. Except he did. Not only did he have a match, he had a main event match. Not only did he have a main event match, he main evented against his wrestling idol and maybe the biggest star of all time, Stone Cold Steve Austin in Dallas, Texas. What the hell else could you want? That's a career moment. And look, you know, there are certain times with Kevin Owens where it's frustrating. Something happens like losing the title of Goldberg in a quick minute and not getting a certain thing. But, you know, that 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 happens with everybody. If you look at him overall, he debuts by beating John Cena. He, he, he's really been, I think, treated well. And he knows he was treated well. And he re-signed with the company back in the fall. And I don't, I'm sure he wasn't exactly promised Stone Cold Steve Austin WrestleMania main event when he, to get him to re-sign. But he, he's always been a guy in the company that didn't think he was going to leave because he seemed pretty content with where he was in his career and his family and everything. And to, to get this, you, you freaking love it. Like you said, like not only CM Punk saying things about him wearing a T-shirt, but I, I think a lot of people, you know, at, at various times in his career have, have made that point. And that's why, that's why when Kevin Owens has those face runs sometimes that it works well because he can really handle everything. And I always say it, but he's a guy you can build your company around. And that he had the crowd in the palm of his hand when they were doing the interview part of it. Think about it. You're in the main event with Stone Cold Steve Austin, and you've got everybody paying attention to you. Yep. And I said, and I said, coming in, Pete, nobody was referring to this as the Stone Cold segment on WrestleMania. Everybody no. was saying Correct. it's the Kevin Owens Stone Cold segment. And that's yep. because of the way he handles himself, the way he's he's uh, been presented, and he ultimately completely shined and dominated that moment. Really cool. Absolutely. Now let's move on. There is a lot more to talk about. Now, I don't think anyone would say that in a normal instant analysis, this would be the second match we talk about. We'd save it. We bump it down probably to fourth. However, it was the you know planned, I guess we can call it main event of the show, the final match that was advertised for the show. That was the SmackDown Women's Championship, Charlotte Flair defending against Ronda Rousey. On SmackDown, uh, we got Rousey's training camp. Rousey said she could control her anger and apply it when she wants. She said Flair can either tap out or she'll rip her arm off. Flair later came out uh, like in front of the crowd. Actually got a pretty decent go-home promo on the ramp, but none of it was really notable. So let's move to WrestleMania. Both had great entrances, but neither of them was notably special, which was a stark contrast to what we got from Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair, who both had special entrances earlier in the show. There was good action right after the bell with a lot of knees both ways. Rousey did her arm drags, but celebrated, turned around, and ate a really weird football tackle-style spear uh, from Flair for a near fall. Charlotte completely missed her really stupid double moonsault that she took from Andrade, but never, ever hits. She needs to stop doing it. Rousey came back with a big slam. Flair picked up Rousey by the legs in the tree of woe on the ropes and did a modified crab that was pretty cool. Rousey sat uh, up into her face, then did an avalanche arm drag for a near fall. She rolled into Piper's pit, but Flair escaped an armbar attempt 
Flair ate a step-up knee, then hit a huge boot. Rousey avoided a figure four and hit a snap power slam for a near fall. She rolled into an ankle lock, but Flair reversed it. Rousey drove Flair headfirst into the bottom turnbuckle and screamed at her. Charlotte countered that climbing move Ronda does into a powerbomb and a near fall. An armbar was countered into the figure four, countered into an ankle lock. Flair reached for the ropes on two sides of the ring, but Rousey locked up the leg by wrapping her legs around it. They booted each other in the face on the ground. Rousey countered the figure four into an armbar. My screen went black. I don't know if everyone else's did. Mine went black. Next thing I know, Flair has countered it into a figured eight, figure eight with Charlotte getting maximum extension on it. Rhonda grabs one of her feet that's dangling, reverses it into the inverted figure four as they rolled outside the ring. And I think that's the first time anyone has ever not tapped and escaped the figure eight. I could be wrong, but I believe that's the case. Rousey arm dragged Flair off the apron onto the floor and she hit with a thud. Rousey hit Piper's pit again as the referee counted three, but Flair had her foot on the bottom ropes for like a full two seconds. Charlotte took advantage of Ronda being pissed off with that. Hits her with natural selection for a 2.8. Flair then tried a figure four, but Rousey booted her in the ass so hard that Flair actually speared Charles Robinson. Rousey twisted Flair into an armbar and Charlotte tapped, but the referee was down. He couldn't see it. So Rhonda got up, then stood Charles Robinson up. Charlotte booted her dead in the face for the one, two, three to retain the title in 18 minutes. Now, I didn't love this match, mostly because of the pacing, okay? But I have to admit, Flair and Rousey both worked really hard. There were parts of it that were great. Some really good sequences. The story was strong. There were multiple believable false finishes that they gave us and an ending that countered and subverted my expectation. We all expected Ronda Rousey to win the title in this spot. Rousey does not wrestle like other people, right? Her style is different and you need time in a match to get used to it. Flair got the win. Rousey remained strong given the fact that the win was circumstantial. Many of the submission counters were extremely well done. It was not a top two match on the card, not really a top three match on the card, but I did feel it was WrestleMania worthy. Don't forget, this was Ronda's second match in three years and her first singles match in three years. So maybe I'm being a little bit generous. I, I could see a lot of people not agreeing with this. I'm going four stars and an A minus. I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be in the B and maybe a little bit lower range, but I'm okay with if anyone disagrees. But I found the work to be really strong and the story that they were telling between the figure eight, the escapes, the counters, um, and then the way they did the finish so that it was kind of schmozzy, but it was clean. We got an actual finish. There was no DQ, no count out, no bullshit. I enjoyed what they did for the most part. I got to say, when Ronda Rousey came out for her entrance, it was a real mix of boos and cheers. Like, like it was not one or the other. You could hear both. But even more than that, it wasn't a loud reaction at all. Either way. Like, there were boos and cheers, but it wasn't heavy boos. It wasn't heavy cheers. It was, I think, a lot of kind of indifference. And that might have been partly because of what it was following, perhaps. But, yeah, like, not a lot of energy for a Ronda Rousey entrance. Um, now, i got to admit, I did miss a chunk of this match because I watched the end of North Carolina. I got my phone, uh, <laughs> the Final Four game. But, I, you know, when there were some O's from the crowd that woke up, I thought it was, from what I saw, I, I missed a minute. It, it was fine. 
I, I think we were all in the stadium just kind of waiting for Ronda to get the um, arm bar because that was going to be the moment whether the match ended or not. Like the ankle lock and all this other stuff, like she kept saying, I'm going to rip off your arm. So we were all just kind of like waiting for the arm spot. Uh, there were a few botches, like you said. Um, and I, I was surprised that Charlotte won in the end. I mean, like I said, we all picked Ronda Rousey. It, it kind of reminded me, honestly, of the other WrestleMania. went to 34 in New Orleans when Charlotte, I think, retained the title against Asuka. That was kind of a surprise retained by, by Charlotte as well. I mean, maybe it's an LOL Charlotte wins type of thing. But when it's Ronda, it kind of makes everything a little bit different. Well, this this feels like something they probably run at, run at Backlash because of how it ended with the rough spot. But, uh, I mean, it was it was fine. It wasn't bad. And I think, you know, having not seen Ronda really much, we were maybe concerned it was going to be bad. What would you say it was uh, looking at it live? If you're going to agree, you mean, you mean like a great, I'd probably give it like a 3.5. Okay. I, I mean, I, that's what a, a B range. Yeah, that's a B. Like that's that. a B. I'd say, I'd say 3.5. And I think that's fair. Again, I may be overrating it. I, I need to go back and my goal, I was going to rewatch at least three of the matches on WrestleMania, but Peacock wouldn't put up the damn replay before we could start the show. Even though Chris had, you know, gave me like a 45 minute delay because the guy had to get to his car, but still I wasn't able to watch. I was going to watch the end of that match. I was going to rewatch. Uh, all that's a, of that's all a of, real failure by Peacock. How, oh, like, a, how do you, how do you, like, if people are, if people like were watching basketball and they tune in for the end of the Stone Cold, like, oh, let me catch up on maybe see what I missed, and you can't. That's pretty. That's pretty atrocious. It was, it was really bad, and and I mean, their their service tonight was fine, but except for that one blackout, like I said, but for me to not be able to rewatch some of that already was just really ridiculous. But I, I agree. You know, there's a really good chance, like I said, I, I overrated this. And it's probably right between what we said. It's probably 3.75 B plus. Um, but until I rewatch it, I'm going to stick with my grade. But I just kind of wanted to do it. But to your point, what you just said, how could we be surprised in, in, in retrospect that Charlotte Flair won? Because guess what? What did you just say? She beat Oscar. She just beat Ronda Rousey. Guess what? She beat Rhea Ripley too. So all of these opportunities, they had to have Charlotte put someone over at WrestleMania and she won every single time. So next year, when we get whatever the hell it's going to be, Ronda Rousey, Bianca Belair, I mean, sorry, not Ronda Rousey, uh, Charlotte Flair, Bianca Belair, or uh, Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks, whatever the hell it is, let's remember to pick Charlotte Flair uh, winning that match. This is very Roman Reigns-esque, and they really need to fix it. I don't care about Rousey, okay? Charlotte beating Rousey, I don't give a shit. But when it happens in the future, and she faces people like Sasha, who's never won at WrestleMania, at least a singles match, we'll see what happens Sunday. Um, or a Bianca Belair or a Rhea Ripley or another up-and-coming woman, she needs to start taking L's. It's as simple as that. Fans are already sick of her, and they're just going to make it worse and worse. Let's move on. Real, real quick, real Go quick, one, one, one other thing. I think the uh, the black out on your screen, I think it was a nip slip. Uh, oh. Something happened. That, that would, that would, it would fit based on what you're saying with the timing. Obviously, it was different in the stadium, but uh, I, I, just, I, for Peacock's sake, I think that's what that was. That would certainly make sense. Let's move on. And like I said, I'm going to go slightly out of order here. I want to talk about the other women's championship match. Then we'll talk about Seth Rollins and Cody. Raw Women's Championship, Becky Lynch defending against Bianca Belair. The video package for this match, I don't know what you got to see in the stadium. It was absolutely outstanding. A-plus work from WWE. Becky got a special entrance video that was a takeoff of the Marvel Studios intro that you see on basically every show and movie that they do. She also drove to the ramp in a white Cadillac Escalade that had, uh, she had, she came out with an incredible look. 
with her new hair, her gear, everything was top notch. But as great as it was, Bianca absolutely like her entrance trashed Becky's. She got the Texas Southern marching band to play a song. I, I it was recognizable, but I didn't realize what it was and then play her entrance music. It was absolutely freaking incredible. It was probably a top 15 or 20 WrestleMania entrance of all time. It actually hit me in the feel spot because I know how much those HBCU bands mean to people. And for that type of representation to take place in the biggest match, as far as I was concerned, on night one of WrestleMania, I have to believe that really made people emotional. Chris, what was it like for both of those entrances, but particularly Bianca's in the stadium? Yeah, I mean, when, when Becky was, first of all, the video package, you're right. We, we saw all those on the big screen in there. That was a, that was probably the best video package of the night. And it changed my feeling going into the match. Cause we had said coming off of Monday, oh, that was kind of heelish by Bianca. That's weird. Could something happen? But then when they played it out in the entrance, in the, in the intro video, you realize, no, that's just Bianca being a badass. And like you could see Stone Cold back in that day just beating someone up on the way to his match. It's just kind of what he does. It's what she does. That's oh, okay, yeah. Bianca's still the face here. Bianca's gonna win because of that's what that was. Becky's uh Marvel entrance, I was I was laughing. I think a lot of people were kind of laughing when we got that. That was pretty great. Um and then yeah, the marching band. Was, was awesome. We couldn't quite hear what they were playing mm, uh, from, from where we were. But the first thing I thought about was, so two weeks ago, I covered the NCAA tournament here in Fort Worth and Texas Southern, like Kansas. And there was a, there was a dance off between the uh, Texas Southern mascot and the Kansas mascot. The Texas Southern mascot destroyed the Kansas mascot because it comes from an HBCU. And I tweeted the video when it happened. It got 12,000 retweets. Uh, from HBCU, people going nuts over it. Yeah, the mascots, the dancing, the marching bands, those mean so much to that community. And uh, a colleague of mine at The Athletic uh, called it probably the blackest entrance in the history of WrestleMania. And I think that's pretty true. It was incredible. It, it was, but that's that's what was so great about it. Just like it was great when Finn Balor did the, um, I, for lack of a better term, rainbow entrance, right? Like, these things matter to people. And for that kind of representation to come Let's not forget one year after two black females main evented WrestleMania. I mean, this is just monumental shit. You know what I mean? And it touched me. You know, I I, I don't fit that. That's not me. I'm a white dude. Right. But I got it like it made sense. And, and it was really touching to see. And as it turned out, it was just a prelude to what was. Well, you'll hear it. I'm going to tell you what I thought right now. This felt like the main event of the evening from the jump, from the entrances, from after the bell rang and they stood in the ring, everything about it said, this is your main event of the evening. They repeated the SummerSlam spot after the bell with a Bel Air handshake denied and the manhandle slam attempted, but Bianca escaped. Then Lynch escaped a KOD and hit a manhandle slam for a 2.9 false finish less than one minute into the match. Becky missed a moonsault and Bel Air put her in the disarmor. There were a bunch of pinning combination attempts back and forth in the early going. Becky dragged Bianca by the hair outside and drove her into the steps. She had a draping leg drop, double under her suplex and arm bar before they dumped each other outside. Belair did a springing handstand off the apron, countering back into a vertical suplex outside. 
Really sick spot. She also had a gut buster for a near fall. After some counters, Belair hit a stand-up glam slam and a springing handstand moonsault for another near fall. Belair put Lynch on her shoulders in the corner and dropped her across the top rope. Then Bianca hit a, I think it was a 540, maybe it was a 450. I always get those wrong. Off the second rope for a 2.9 false finish. Becky snapped Bianca's neck over the top rope, then tried a senton, but instead unintentionally hit a rolling thunder kick, which is basically an MMA move, uh, but she did it accidentally in wrestling. Uh, Belair countered the manhandle slam and hit a spine buster, but Lynch got her knees up on the handspring moonsault. Becky countered another glam slam and threw Bianca face first into the middle turnbuckle. Belair then took her off the apron for a KOD, but Becky grabbed the top rope. So Bianca, instead of tussling with her, threw her over the ropes outside for a KOD onto the floor. She rolled Becky back inside and Becky rolled out the other side of the ring. Lynch used Bianca's braid to drive Belair headfirst into the post. Then Becky hit manhandle slam into the steel steps outside. Belair played dead. She collapsed outside at like six on the count. And Chris, I almost lost my mind. I was like, they are going to do a count out finish in this match, which was incredible at the moment. I couldn't believe it. But at when the guy says the word nine, Bianca comes to rolls into the ring at 9.9. Another great false finish on a count out, mind you. Lynch was incensed, dragged Bianca to her feet. Bianca did a moonsault out of the manhandle slam, or a flip, really, out of the manhandle slam. Hit the KOD in the middle of the ring for the clear one, two, three to win the Raw Women's Championship in 20 minutes. Simply put, this was one of the greatest women's wrestling matches of all time and one of my favorite matches, full stop, of all time. They paid off the entire story. Every single thing that happened since SummerSlam was referenced and paid off in this match. Belair and Sasha Banks last year was outstanding. This was so far beyond that. It was mind-blowing, okay? Great wrestling, great storytelling. Any minor botches, and there were a couple, were covered immediately. The false finishes were incredible. It went 100 miles per hour. I'm not even sure I can describe the match and do it justice with words, and I want to watch it again before I talk about it more and give it a grade. But Chris, this is my match of the year for 2022 so far. I'm somewhere over five stars. I am. I'm five. 5.25 or 5.5. I don't know what the answer is. I'll split the difference right now. I'll say 5.25 stars. A plus. Bianca Belair doesn't just have it. She is it. It's insane what this woman can do. Yeah, it was amazing. Like you said, every point was referenced. That that, that 2.9 kick out like a minute in. That got me. That got everybody. Like, like even though you like it wouldn't like if you think about it, of course she's gonna kick out. But it was such a good two point nine kick out, and everybody was engaged immediately from the get go. Uh, you referenced all the moves that happened. Th- that spot where Bianca got kicked in the head. Uh, I don't know if she just sold it well, but the, the people around us in the section wondered if she had been concussed because kind of the way she just kind of had her eyes going and stuff like that. But. Uh, it looked like Becky asked her if she was okay, and she wasn't clearly the way the rest of the match played out. Uh, she was, so maybe she just sold that well. Uh, yeah, this was re- re- remarkable. The story, this is what, by the way, this is what we said when everything went down at SummerSlam. 
when everybody was upset at the way Bianca lost, comparing it to Kofi, saying that they were going to bury her, and we said, now hold on a minute. She was just in the main event of one night to WrestleMania. They care about her. They love her. They know she's a star. She's in every commercial. She's going to get it back on Becky, potentially at WrestleMania, especially when she lost the follow-up. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, she, the crowd goes nuts for her. The amount of little girls I saw, uh, especially uh, 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 black girls in the in the stadium, going nuts for her entrance and her win was was really cool to see. Yeah, she is a, a megastar. And if it wasn't clear already, I mean, obviously we know the four horsewomen and how big they are in WWE. But Bianca is very much right at their level. They, they, they there are at least five main event women on this roster. Bianca continues to show. Uh, that she is that her her future remains incredibly bright. She's got she's still got such a long future ahead of her. Uh, the whole women's division is, is going to be great. Yeah, I, I'm, I was going to give five stars. I, I've never gone. I don't think I've given one over five stars. But match of the year so far, probably. I, I mean, maybe it's heat at the moment. But yeah, it was it was it was incredible. I just I, I was floored by how good it was. That that's the best way I can put it. Um, I. There's been so many really good women's matches that WWE has put on, and that's not counting, of course. Let's not forget stardom and all the other women's wrestling that's out there. I can't. I can only talk about what I've seen. There's been so many great women's matches. Uh, Beyond, uh, yeah, sorry, uh, Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair versus Oscar, the TLC match. Um, you know, tons of Oscar matches I could name. Obviously, uh, Sasha Banks and Bailey, the Takeover match. I mean, we can go on. But this lived up to everything you could possibly want. And, you know, I'm not saying that Bianca is the best women's wrestler in the world. She's not. Right. She's really freaking good, though. But her ceiling, her potential is so off the charts. What she can do athletically, physically, from a storytelling standpoint, the facial expressions, the way she connects with the crowd, the end of that match. The way that crowd got on its feet, I don't know. I mean, okay, so if I'm thinking about the last time I saw that in a match, it would be Adam Hangman Page against Kenny Omega when Page when Hangman won the title. But when I'm thinking about in terms of like for a WWE match, a crowd rising to its feet for a finish, I don't know if we've gotten that since Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks last year. I would really have to go back and think about it. But the point is, she is just otherworldly right now. Um, WWE has something very special in Bianca Belair. And I am so excited to get out of this Instant Analysis podcast and rewatch this match in bed before I go to sleep. I have to see it. That is how much I love this match. Uh, Chris, let's move on. We got still more to talk about. Seth Rollins versus an opponent of Vince McMahon's choosing. Mr. McMahon's choosing is how it was promoted. Now, this came immediately after Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch. And I wanted to note that on purpose. We'll explain why in a moment. Uh, Rollins came out to acquire harmonizing his theme. It was a pretty epic entrance. There was a long delay to build anticipation. Rollins was kind of getting manic, pacing back and forth. Finally, after he threw his jacket out of the ring, Pyro went off in the ring all the way up the entrance ramp, and then full pyro went up on the stage. The lights completely shut off. And in that moment, Chris, I have to say, I legitimately considered, wait a minute, 
Is it really the Undertaker? Or when the lights turn back on, is the Fiend going to be behind Seth Rollins? They definitely made me think twice about it in the moment. But no, as we all suspected, it's Cody Rhodes with one of the most epic WrestleMania reintroductions, I guess is the best way I can put it, that I can remember. Before we talk about the match, what was going through your mind as this was happening? As Seth's entrance is going on, we're all just kind of like antsy, like, all right, is it is it going to be Cody or is it going to be like Shane McMahon or something? If you had people around us saying, please don't be sick. Please don't be Shane. Please don't be Shane. When the lights go out, we all thought it was the Fiend. We all, we all thought it was Bray Wyatt uh, coming back. And there was even like a, a drum hit or something where I think for a second we thought it was that. Yes, and, I heard that too. Yep. Yeah, that's what we all thought Fiend. And then we hear wrestling has more than one royal, fa- uh, royal family. And we all go, ah, and then we see Cody's lights up. We go, ah, it gets even louder. That was the pop of the night. That was the biggest pop of anything that happened tonight. It was Cody's entrance. And not only is it not only is Cody Rhodes back in WWE, he's got his blonde hair. He's <laughs> got he's got his neck tattoo, which they made the AR visuals for. I saw later on. Uh, <laughs> they did for his entrance, and he's got his music. Yeah, the music that he used in AEW. The, 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 we'll get into we, we, we can, at the end of this. We can talk about AEW, WWE, whatever. But in that moment, to, to realize we were getting full AEW Cody was so freaking cool, uh, and I, that really that made the moment. Because if it was some new music and then we see Cody Rhodes' name, it would have been it would have been cool. It would have been a reaction. But to get it, to get that exact same Cody Rhodes. That made it, that was the biggest reaction of the night of anything. Honestly, I think even more than Stone Cold. Well, that's interesting for you to say that. It really is. Now, I, because of everything that was happening and how crazy things were doing, and I was taking notes for the show, unfortunately, I did miss probably the first third, I would say, of this match, but it was a long match. So I don't think I missed too much. Other it was a that, very it was a very slow start, so you did not miss much. Okay, so I'm going to get into the part that I saw of the match, which I still have plenty of notes for, but I just wanted to like let everyone know in case you're like, well, Silver King, why didn't you talk about this? Well, I'm gonna, that's, that's exactly why I'm telling you right now. Uh, so where I picked up with it, Rollins countered a flying crossbody with a dropkick. He screamed, welcome back to the big leagues, bitch, and drove a forearm into his back. Cody hit a snap power slam and a tope suicida. Uh, which knocked Rollins over the announce desk. Then he botched some twisting high-risk move. Rollins caught a disaster kick attempt off the steel steps and hit an insane barricade bomb that was so loud. There was a whole front row of celebrities there. And when they showed the celebrities who are not there to act, right, their mouths were hanging open. Like they just couldn't believe he took that big of a shot right in front of him. I thought that was pretty cool. Rollins hit a super kick and a running Falcon arrow for a near fall. He called for the stomp, but Cody dodged it twice. Rollins countered the crossroads, but Cody countered the rolling forearm into the crossroads for a 2.9 false finish that stunned the crowd. Cody got loud face chants. Rollins took him off the top rope with an inverted superplex into an inverted Falcon arrow for a 2.8. Cody dodged a huge Phoenix splash, then countered the pedigree and set up for what's a teased pedigree, but he does other moves out of that setup. 
The crowd popped massively, though, when they thought he was going to do the pedigree. Cody eventually countered into a powerbomb and hit the Cody cutter for a 2.9 false finish. Rollins hit a pedigree for another 2.9 false finish. Rollins screamed, my company, my industry, as he hit his rolling forearms. Cody then countered Rollins into a crossroads, then hit a second one. He was going for a third, but stopped himself. Instead, he did all of Dusty's punches and a freaking bionic elbow. He added a third crossroads for the win in, I think it was like 18-ish minutes. I don't have an exact count. This was incredible, okay? Everything from Rollins' entrance until the final bell was pitch perfect. The entrance, the overall return, the storytelling in the match. Ironically, Cody's adrenaline in the match got the best of him a few times. He eventually overcame those issues, Um, but there were some botches, as I mentioned. The false finishes and the eventual finish were all spectacular. I'm not sure how this could have been better. I'm not sure it could have been better. I tweeted that if Cody hit a bionic elbow, I would lose my mind. Probably two minutes before Cody hit a bionic elbow. And guess what? I lost my mind. And you all know when I say that, I am no Cody Rhodes fan. Far from it, in fact. But you could tell how much this meant to him. Whether because of the AEW exit or his family, I'm not sure. But it was exactly what it needed to be. And it erased every criticism that I or anyone that I saw, yourself included, Chris, said going into the show about the Rollins storyline and the match. Was it handled perfectly? Probably not. But they told a story. They created seeds of doubt, even though it was leaked. And we got a banger match. Because of the botches and some of the little mistakes, I can't go five stars. But I did go 4.75 stars and an A+. Like I said, this was everything it needed to be. Yeah, it was a great match. It, it took a minute, I think, for everybody to kind of get into it. Once the match started, I think the adrenaline of the uh, entrance and the reveal it just kind of took everybody's energy. And then the match did start a bit slow, but it got going, it got going, it got better and better and better as it went on. Uh, and, and they hit a lot of those spots. I was going to give it about 4.5 stars. It was clearly the number two match of the night. And so... When we wa- so when we walked into the stadium and you go to the merch stand, we didn't buy anything, but I just looked to see what was there. Um, there's a giant sign there that says, uh, only available today or here or something like that, uh, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. And they had like two special shirts for him. I was like, okay, it's got to be Cody now. <laughs> there's no way they would do it like this to, to set that up. And I, I texted that to you. You said, I guess they were selling it on the shop beforehand. I, I missed that. But once you saw the sign there at Mania, you kind of you realized it could happen. And look, with Cody, the thing I always said about him in AEW is that he would, there was so much WWE in him, whether it was the, 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 the desire to make everything a spectacle, the, the often slow starts to matches that he had. He always knew how to make a moment bigger. And I always thought nobody else, on, nobody else in AEW could quite figure that out. And, and he did, he brought that. So, look, we were all completely stunned when he left that company. He was freaking one of the founders of it. It was his tweet that led to All Out, that led to, uh, or All In, that led to AEW. And, you know, we, we, we thought, we wondered if it was a work, if he was going to come back or something like that. And, and no, instead we get full-on AEW Cody Rhodes in WWE. And that had to be so special for him, for a guy who 
quit, asked for his release, and quit WWE because he wanted to, he believed he could do more. And he went to Ring of Honor, Japan, and Bullet Club, and did all this stuff, founded a whole new company, and made his way back and was presented like the biggest fucking star in the world. You look at the tweets that WWE was sending out, saying stuff like Cody Mania, they've got all these graphics. Uh, they treated him like an absolute megastar, and that's all because of the work he did to get him back to the spot, which is awesome. I love the Stardust cartwheel he did early in the match. I, yeah. Did you see that? Did yes. you see that? Yeah, okay. I did see it, but I forgot. Because I didn't like do notes for that first part, I missed it. Also, when they did it, he like cartwheeled off camera. So I saw he was doing it, but they didn't okay. really show the whole yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a he did a Stardust cartwheel. So uh yeah, and yeah, you could I mean you could see the emotion in his face on all that at the end. And uh uh, you know, obviously the AEW WWE bickering went back and forth on, on Twitter a lot afterward. Uh but hey, you know, this is to me, that is kind of one of the moments that really makes it uh, a wrestling war, so to speak. This is the first big name to jump from AEW to WWE. Look, WWE's fired a ton of wrestlers. We've been over that. We, we hate that. They've acted like a heel company. You know, the Saudi Arabia stuff we've talked about time and time again. But just from a pure wrestling standpoint, to have this moment, to have actual, you know, full-on AEW Cody Rhodes coming over to WWE is a moment in this war slash not war. And frankly, that's just really cool. I, I mean, like I talked to, like, so I was at the WWE tryout earlier this week. I'm writing a story next week. I talked to Triple H and I asked him a few questions about AEW. And he said, you know, that type of thing, you know, it, competition is good and it's going to force us to have to try to be better. And, and it has, I think. And that, that, that's what makes these wrestling wars fun in the end. Not people arguing over who did what on Twitter and stuff like that. So this is a big moment, and it's 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 really cool to see. For sure, no doubt about it. By the way, a reminder for everyone who's listening: uh, Chris is in the car driving back from WrestleMania. That is why the audio is a little screwy, but we very much appreciate him being on this instant analysis. One final note before we move on: there was a moment on the kickoff show, Chris. I'm assuming you did not see it, where Rollins was interviewed and having a conversation with Maria Menounos. And they laugh together. So for those who don't know, Maria has a very unique uh, laugh is the best way to put it. And seeing both of them laughing together at each other was a hysterical moment. I do not suggest watching the two hour kickoff show if you missed it. But if you want to fast forward and try to find like that one moment, it was pretty damn funny, at least as far as I was concerned. Uh, One more thing. One more thing about Cody. So we looked up the, so I always talk about the YouTube numbers that at the moment that we walked out of the stadium, that thing had way like double the views of anything else from wrestlemania on the wwe youtube page i suspect even with the stone cold i think possibly that could end up with the most views of anything on youtube just a a sign of just how big of a moment it was sure no question about it now we do have a few matches left we'll probably go through these a little bit quicker than the first so if you're already getting tired no problem we're going to go through these pretty quick uh we had the mysterios versus the miz and logan paul Ray came out in Mexican flag gear while Dominic had American flag gear. It actually called back to something Eddie Guerrero used to wear, which is pretty cool. Uh, as if people didn't hate Logan Paul enough, and you probably didn't get this from being in the arena. He came out wearing around his neck the most expensive Pokemon card in the world on a chain. Um, Michael Cole had to explain it, or whoever it was had to explain it. And he and Miz were dressed in yellow gear, I presume to match Pokemon or whatever the hell they were doing. It was true heel shit is what I'm getting at. 
Logan did a split and got kicked in the head after the bell by Ray. Dom hit a great springboard moonsault on Miz, plus an Escalera Huracarana on both of them, and a jumping tornado outside on Miz. Logan hit a running power slam and a blockbuster. Dom did a tornado DDT on Miz while kicking Logan off the apron. Ray got the hot tag and hit a great moonsault, plus a superb tornado DDT for a near fall. He hit two of three amigos before Miz ran him into the post. Logan tagged in and did Eddie Guerrero's three amigos to huge boos. But forget the fact that he did it. He actually did a great job. He did the hip twist and flipping over. He did the shake. Everything about it. I got to give the guy credit. It looked like he'd been wrestling for 10 years the way he did the three amigos. Then he does a kip up and he gets on the top rope, does Eddie's shake and hits a frog splash on freaking Rey Mysterio in the middle of the ring. Uh, the fall got saved by Dom. They chased Paul outside, then caught him in a double 619. Both of them hit two frog splashes. And I think everyone in the world, most likely you, Chris, and I included, said this is exactly how it should go. He gets his comeuppance. The match is going to end. But it was a false finish. Miz slammed Dominic into the cover. Then he picks Ray up, hits him with skull-crushing finale for the clean one, two, three, as the heels won in 11 minutes. Then Miz and Logan are celebrating together. Miz turns his head, stares at him, hits him with the skull-crushing finale. Perfectly executed turn by Miz. It elicited a huge response from the crowd. The whole thing, to my utter shock, was outstanding. Not surprised that Logan is athletic and able to do it. The way it was booked, the story, the way it was entirely put together. I am not sure that Logan could have done a better job as a celebrity wrestler. And both Bad Bunny and Pat McAfee have set really high ceilings for celebrity wrestlers. I think he was right in there with both of them, probably tier two with Bad Bunny under Pat McAfee, but really surprisingly good. We discussed how the heels could win here. I believe we discussed it on the Ultimate Preview. We definitely discussed it on the live pre-show on Twitter spaces, and that's exactly what WWE did. I was totally fine with it. The one change is it should have been Dominic taking the fall, not Rey Mysterio. I have no idea why they did that. But very entertaining. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus. And because of that, that's one of the reasons I went a little bit higher on Rousey and Flair because I didn't think it belonged in the same category as this. Totally entertaining. Really good wrestling. You kind of hit on it at the end, but I'm going to say I think that was the greatest wrestling debut celebrity performance of all time. I think it was better. Bad Bunny had, you know, the Canadian story had a couple spots, but Logan Paul from Bell to Bell was just better. I think it was, he didn't have some flips like Pat McAfee, but I think just from a pure wrestling standpoint, I think that was the best we've ever seen from a debut. He completely looked like he belonged. He didn't botch anything from all I could tell. He, he knew exactly how to play to the crowd. You remember Pat McAfee's match with Adam Cole, I think was in a empty arena possibly. Yes. So Logan had, to, had, Logan had to play with the crowd and he did that perfectly. When he started the three amigos, the crowd booed. When he does, when he gets to the top rope and does the Eddie shake, the place erupted, man. They fucking hated that dude. And and then yeah, the the win was a surprise. Uh, the 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 Miz and Logan Paul winning I was like oh, because like you said that double six one nine. They're like oh that that's it right there. Thought it was going to happen. When, when it didn't happen there, that's when I was like oh maybe maybe the Miz and Logan Paul are going to win. So uh, yeah, I was like wow, I can't believe they actually did it. And then you get the Miz, 
you know, send Logan home, uh, Logan Paul home with, with a skull crushing finale made me wonder if we're going to get maybe Miz versus Logan Paul at backlash perhaps, or maybe they wait till summer. Summer. I don't know, but Logan Paul was great. And he's a guy who I think, uh, obviously he's got a million things going on, but, uh, he would, I think he, he fit perfectly here. He was really, really good. My assumption is they're going to bring Logan Paul back for another stadium show or at least a bigger show. Right. But you're right. WrestleMania backlash is coming up. Hell in a Cell is two months away. I don't think they'll do that. That's not really appropriate as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but then SummerSlam and then the Saudi show, I think, is going to be in November or December. They're talking oh, about no, there, there's also there's money in the bank in Vegas at the stadium show before there's SummerSlam. Money in the bank in Vegas, SummerSlam, and then the stadium show. I mean, the uh, Saudi show is, I think, expected to be TLC. So there's a number of options to have it happen. I don't think they need to run it back immediately, but... You know, look, I'm not saying that the WWE should sign Logan Paul. I'm not. But this is one of those guys where they have found another celebrity that can really go and actually cares to do a good job. And that's not what celebrity appearances used to be. WWE, between Bad Bunny, Pat McAfee, Logan Paul, and who knows what we're going to get from Johnny Knoxville uh, on Sunday, they found some dudes that are celebrities have name value can bring eyeballs to their product and can go uh, Nick Flynn at N Flynn underscore 17. He also wrote in, he goes, how did you like Mark long and the Miz embracing at the end of that match challenge stars reuniting for anyone who doesn't know, I'm a huge fan of MTV's the challenge. And Miz of course was on real world and he was on the challenge with Mark long. So it was very cool for that moment, but I digress. Let's get back to the wrestling. Uh, there were more comments and DMS. I know you guys have a lot of questions and thoughts, we will talk, do all of those things on Tuesday. The Raw After WrestleMania Hall of Fame show. We'll have extra time. We'll go over it. This is the instant analysis. We got to get through these matches as quick as we can. On that note, let's move on to the next one. Drew McIntyre versus Happy Corbin on SmackDown. We had Happy Talk. Corbin renamed the sword Euphoria. Then he made a joke about the death of McIntyre's mom, which I just had no freaking words. I could. I don't care if McIntyre approved of it. It was in terrible taste for them to do that. McIntyre one-punched Madcap Moss, uh, then threw a chair at Corbin, swung the sword, and tore apart the set. This was the final moment of SmackDown. I thought we might get a stipulation, but we didn't. We didn't get anything. It was a really shitty go-home moment. So for WrestleMania, this was the second match on the show. McIntyre attacked at the bell. The Corbin rammed him into the post off the ring apron and dominated until Madcap Moss inexplicably jumped on the apron. Corbin countered Claymore into a deep six for a near fall. McIntyre hit a flying clothesline. Moss rolled Corbin away from a Claymore. McIntyre hit a tope cannonball on both guys, tossed Moss outside. Corbin swung through end of days, but then missed a Claymore. Uh, Corbin caught him with end of days. And then McIntyre became the first man to kick out of end of days in Corbin's entire WWE and NXT run. McIntyre came back with the Future Shock DDT and the Claymore for the clean one, two, three in eight minutes. Moss tried to attack in the post-match, but McIntyre stopped him with the sword. He pointed it right at him. Then Drew swung it, whether he hit the top rope or not, I don't know, but he completely snapped the top two ropes as a really fake boom sound effect played. They were obviously gimmicked ropes. WWE almost had me 100%, but of course they had to add some corny, sword bullshit before this damn feud could finally end. Very typical of them. Uh, huge pop from the crowd for the kickout and finish. Solid but unspectacular match. 
that should mercifully end this feud for good. I went 3.25 stars and a B. WWE should have at least mentioned once the end of day's history in the lead up to this instead of doing the forced undefeated streak. They focused on the completely wrong type of history, but credit to Michael Cole on commentary. He made a huge deal about the kickout immediately in the moment. As I said, this could have benefited from a stipulation, but in the end, McIntyre did come out of it looking like a main event caliber wrestler at WrestleMania. And that is what matters the most. Yeah, this was, again, had very, very low expectations. I didn't think this should be on the WrestleMania card at all. I thought it was ridiculous that McIntyre was still in this feud. But you know what? It it worked at the end. McIntyre looked great. They had a pretty good match. You know, Corbin, we know, can go. He just, he's always kind of stuck in these terrible gimmicks and never-ending feuds and stuff like that. But this was, it was fine. And the 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 um, promo video, the highlight video beforehand was also very good. It actually got me really interested in the match and stuff yep. like that. So so that worked. And you're right. They focused on the wrong, you know, they focused on the wrong thing, saying Corbin's undefeated when it was, what, like 3-0 or something instead of yeah, kicking out of end of days. <laughs> but it kind of just comes back to, again, not treating Corbin like a serious character and said he's a goofy, unimportant character. And that kind of trickles down to everything else. So, yeah, this was another match that, again, did not care for it at all. But in the end, we got a match that was... Perfectly solid and in fun at the end. And that's eventually all you want from a spot like that at Mania. And, and one more thing. So when he slashed the ropes with the sword, that messed up the ropes for the next match, which was Miz, uh, the Mysterios, that whole mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. The middle rope kept having problems. And you notice there were a couple times where Rainbow Star went off the ropes and he, he went off all three instead of just the bottom two. And there was another spot where Miz was holding ropes differently in a weird spot. And after that tag match ended, the crew went back and had to redo that middle rope again. So uh, the the slashing of the ropes caused uh, a few problems later on. So it wasn't just that. I know it's WrestleMania. I know some people will say I'm a stick in the mud, whatever. It was a totally stupid spot that did not need to happen. It took away yes. from the end of the match. It actually hurt Drew. I mean, by a very little bit. I'm not saying it was like disaster for him, but it took away from this crowning moment by giving him again something corny the guy has to do. The sword, the Scottish fairy tales, all this bullshit. Just let the guy be this beast that he is. The guy who main evented and beat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. The guy who went toe-to-toe with Bobby Lashley last year. He doesn't need the sword. He doesn't need the stories. He doesn't need the gimmicks and the sounds and all that bullshit. Just let this guy be the awesome wrestler that he is. For the love of God. Okay, the match that opened the show, the other match for us to talk about, though we will have some extra stuff before we get out of here. Uh, The SmackDown Tag Team Championship, the Usos defending, again, Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs. On SmackDown, we had Boogs versus Jimmy Uso. Big Boogs curled Jimmy, then pressed him over his head on his knees, stood up with him and did a military press into a fallaway slam. It was super impressive. Austin Theory and Finn Balor did interference, and that made it a six-man tag team match. Boogs took theory for a ride. Nakamura and Balor had back-to-back great hot tags. The Usos interfered with Balor going for his finish. And theory hit A-Town down for the win on Balor. So let's just be clear here. They had Austin Theory, who's fighting Pat McAfee, beat the United States champion Finn Balor, who's not even on WrestleMania. 
And that's not to mention what they did with Ricochet on Raw this past Monday that I already was pissed off about. You don't need to respond. I just had to say it, okay? So then for WrestleMania, to my surprise, this match opened the show. Uh, But you guys know I've been a huge Boogs fan for years. And this dude being the first superstar on the show, playing the electric guitar live over AT&T Stadium speakers was incredible for me personally, seeing how far he's come. Nakamura and Boogs were literally sponsored as a team by Mike's Hard. They had orange and yellow gear, logos, and everything. By the way, everything I said about Boogs also goes for Nakamura, too. Very cool that both of these guys got to open Mania the way they did. Boogs did a delayed vertical suplex, including putting a knee on the canvas. He then tried to do a double team move with both Usos on his back. I don't know if he was going to do a Samoan drop or whatever, but Jimmy didn't jump enough onto his back. Boogs tried to overcompensate for it, and his right leg completely gave out from under him. He crawled to the corner and tagged Nakamura. Nakamura hit the sliding powerbomb off the ropes. Jake countered Kinshasa with a super kick, and Jimmy hit the Uso splash for a 2.9 count. The Usos held Nakamura in the corner by his hair and eventually hit 1D to retain the titles in seven minutes. The right booking was the Usos retaining. Now, I don't know if that was the original plan, given the fact that these guys were sponsored by Mike's Hard and it opened the show. And generally, if you open the show, you do a title change. But the right booking, as far as I was concerned, was the Usos retaining. It was such an unfortunate injury to Boogs in what was such a huge career spot. This guy was finally getting momentum after all these years. He tore his quadricep patella tendon. He's probably going to be out six months. It's very similar to that Triple H injury that he suffered when he tore his quad. Uh, This led to a shorter, less exciting match than it likely would have been booked. I'm going to say three stars and a B minus, but it probably would have been higher if we saw what they had planned. Really unfortunate start to the show. Really unfortunate for Rick Boogs. Yeah, well, I mean, like I mentioned, opening the show with the Nakamura Boogs entrance and the guitar really got the crowd into it right off the bat. Like, like it was electric in there, no pun intended. And the Usos entrance was the same thing. This was a lot of fun. The the, the athletic strength feats that Boogs was pulling off on SmackDown were insane and just really highlighted how impressive this guy is. And so then the the... the you know, the match is going and I'm enjoying it. It's a good match. And then the, you know, the knee goes out and I didn't think it was legitimate at the time. Um, it, it looked like, oh, he just, he couldn't do it. He rolls over or whatever. And we saw the doctors go over to him right away. And my brother's like, I think he's really hurt. I was like, eh, I don't know. Like they even showed the replay and like, it wasn't like a torn ACL where you could see the knee buckle or something like that. It was just like, it, it just went down. And then they were saying quad I saw on Twitter but he was holding his knee. So I was, I was like, ah, I don't know. I think this, I don't know. Maybe this is legit or not legit. But then when the match ended pretty soon thereafter, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, he must, he must be hurt. And then, yeah, the doctors stayed with him, carried him out. I, I guess we'll, it'll probably be maybe a day or two before we get official, official word on exactly what it is. But man, that dude has been absolutely killing it for the past few months. I've loved them and Nakamura as him and Nakamura as a tag team. I like the Mike's Hard Lemonade thing they did. I don't know how much they showed on uh, Peacock, but they like started a commercial, uh, Mike's Hard commercial. I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, Boogs and Nakamura are doing something again. Like, I like that stuff. I think the the Toyota commercial they did was good too. Um, 
And then it like went on for like a minute or two. It was a really, really long commercial. Uh, and I was like, oh, this, this was good. And they have the whole entrance. And yeah, just, oh, man, really, really sucks to see that injury. Yeah. Hope it's not as bad as we think because they have been great. He's been great. He deserved that moment. And uh, yeah, really, really tough ending to what was a really hot start and ultimately perfectly fine match that I think was going into another gear before that happened couple more really quick things before we get to our post uh, show grades and we'll you know preview a night two as well just a little bit really quick talk so new day versus Sheamus and Rich Holland was scheduled for the show and it did get scratched so in addition to Finn Balor Ricochet and Damian Priest we may not get New Day or Sheamus on a two night WrestleMania i saw someone criticize WWE for airing extra video packages early in the show after the Boogs injury, as if WWE is somehow omniscient and they're going to know that two hours later in the show, it's going to run long and they're going to be screwed for time and have to cut a match. Without this match, New Day, Sheamus, and Rich Holland, the main card went over four hours. I think it went four hours and five minutes. That has to be a stopping point. Midnight Eastern, they cannot make the same mistake they did for 35, where it went like 2, 1 a.m. or past 1 a.m. So did WWE make the right decision in cutting the match? They did. It wasn't even built well enough to really be on WrestleMania in the first place. But it's absurd that it came down to that because they easily could have made this a kickoff show match for one of the nights. And I sincerely hope that they do make it a kickoff show match for tomorrow. They have a two-hour kickoff show. They got to be able to throw a 10-minute match on there and let these guys you know, have a WrestleMania moment, allow them to wrestle on the card. I think Xavier Woods and Sheamus both tweeted about the match being cut. Clearly, they're not happy. I wouldn't be either. It sucks that it got cut, but the truth is, if they were going to air that um, either between Cody, uh, Seth, and Ronda Flair, or between Ronda Flair and Stone Cold Steve Austin and KO, you know what? They didn't need it. You know, I, I think we think a lot of times WWE has to have the popcorn match. They don't because those four matches ran in succession. There was a little bit of break for the Hall of Fame and some other stuff, um, but it didn't need it. Like I said, the issue is not really that the match was cut. It's that Balor, Ricochet, Priest, New Day, and Sheamus, they, WWE did not book something important enough for WrestleMania where they couldn't cut it. That is, to me, the bigger issue. Yes, completely agree. The, those guys need to be on the card in, in, in a way. That, substantial way. In a substantial yes, manner. they are big time players. But I'm not going to lose sleep over losing a New Day versus Sheamus and Ridge Holland match. This is a feud that's just been a mess for a while. The biggie injury really has hung over everything ever since. And... Everything on like everything on this card was really good. I had a really good time. The, the pacing was good. The timing was good. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be that upset that they didn't throw in a match that none of us cared to see. Like like we didn't need it. Like yeah, it should have been on the kickoff show today. It should be on the kickoff show tomorrow. But it's not a WrestleMania type match, and everything that we got was good. So I'm not gonna say that something else should have been on there. I feel for those guys. Um, it, it, it's been a real. I think it's a mess of a few weeks for them and everything going on with that. But um, overall, no, you don't need to force it onto the card. And I think six end up being seven matches because Austin was a match. Uh, seven matches, four hours with all the entrances. I think that time frame wise was perfect. Like I said, we we walked out of the stadium, 
still pretty electric, feeling good, feeling somewhat rested for tomorrow. Um, and, and so I think it was fine. As we are taping this, as we are literally talking about this match, WWE has announced New Day will face Sheamus and Ridge Holland Sunday at WrestleMania 38. So they rescheduled for tomorrow and we are fine. Wait, they didn't say pre-show though? They did not say kickoff show now. Hmm. The, the, that show, tomorrow's show, Sunday show, had one fewer segment scheduled anyway. So, That's true. That's true. And the truth is they had, they, that the show does have fewer important things that are happening on it. So it, do, it does. Yep. I do think they have more time. There will be less video packages airing because one night of mania is already over. So they don't need to promote something coming up. So I do think they'll have more time tomorrow. It should be fine. Uh, it's good that they did that. Other thing I wanted to note, Stephanie McMahon did a huge introduction for Gable Steveson one hour into mania. She had more energy in the moment than he did. He has to learn to emote better. Look, I know it's only his second appearance outside of the stands ever, um, but I, it's really tough to judge the guy when he's just walking around and raising his arms, but he really didn't come off like a superstar in that moment. I just have to say, I don't know if you had any thoughts about that or noticed it at all. Yeah, I was kind of confused what was going on. This is the second big intro for him. They did something at SummerSlam coming off the Olympics uh, for him as well. Uh, he actually did show up at the last day of that WWE tryout uh, that I was at. I didn't get it. I didn't catch him uh, to, to speak with him. But, um, you know, that's something that, you know, I've, I, I kind of gathered in my time at that tryout is that with, with the amateur wrestlers, there sometimes is a lack of uh, uh, energy that just kind of comes with them by the nature of the sport. Um, so I don't know if maybe Gabe Stevenson was just having a bad day or what, but uh, uh, we expect him on WWE pretty soon, especially after this. You know, he's done with his college career now. I imagine he's going to get into WWE pretty quickly, and um, I imagine they'll want to see some more emotion. And then very quick, this was not on WrestleMania, but it has to do with things we talked about, and I don't want to talk about it tomorrow, and I don't want to talk about it Tuesday. The Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal on SmackDown. Moss, Balor, Priest, Tommaso Ciampa, Dolph Ziggler, and Robert Roode were the final six. Balor eliminated Priest, but nothing came of it. They never scheduled the match for WrestleMania. I thought we might get a setup there, but they just didn't do it. The Dirty Dogs teamed up on Ciampa, then tried with Balor. Moss thought he was eliminating all three guys. He only got the dogs. Moss then dodged Balor to win the entire thing, eliminating Finn at the end. I didn't mind Moss as the person winning, but Madcap, the gimmick winning, is so worthless to me. It was also, I have to say, an extremely shitty battle royal with zero notable spots. It was lazy as hell, lacking creativity, two stars, C minus. You don't even have to talk about it, Chris. I just wanted to get it out there. That's all. I, I, I did see it. It was pretty lame. We knew it was going to be lame just because of the people who are in it because there's nobody left on the roster. Right. Um, Finn, Finn Balor getting eliminated the way he did. Not even uh, the, the way it was really frustrating. We thought, like you said, might be Priest, by the way, by the way, Priest didn't even get an entrance. He was in the ring right. when SmackDown started. Right. That's another statement of where he is right now, which sucks because I think he'd actually kind of gotten in a good position the last couple weeks after he lost the title. But that's where he is. Madcap Moss winning. Makes sense. They generally try to give this to up-and-comer type guys or different You're doing kind too of much guys. Anal- you're doing too much analysis. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> I like we like we like his potential, Riddick Moss's potential. He He's pretty good in the ring. We enjoy him on the mic. He's got a terrible gimmick. That sucks. We also got a tease of some Moss, uh, Corbin, not getting all together in that battle royal that again carried over into the match as well. 
when Moss was on the ropes uh, and Corbin didn't like it. So we may be heading to a split there. Okay, so Chris, we have officially reached the end of the WWE WrestleMania 38 night one instant analysis, which means the only thing left for us to do is discuss our post-show grades. Now, just want to lay it out for everyone so we're all on the same page. We are only, of course, talking about our night one grade for the show. Tomorrow, on Sunday, night two of WrestleMania, we will give a night two grade and an overall WrestleMania grade. Chris, I always let you go first when we do these grades. Uh, do you want me to read the fans uh, vote first and then go to you? Does that, does that make sense? Uh, post-show, yeah, do them first. Okay, so this is going to shock you. I hope you didn't cheat and see the numbers already. I did I, not. We had a significant number of people vote in this poll. One of our largest uh, respondent pools ever. This is the breakdown of the post-show grades for night one of WrestleMania 38. 77% said A. Wow. 22% said B. 1% said C. <laughs> and again, 0%, not even trolls, said D to F. So if I average those out, it can't be an A plus, obviously, because there's too much uh, Bs in there. But to me, that's a flat A grade that the fans gave night one of WrestleMania 38. I always let you go first when we do the overall grading, Chris. You were there. You're probably going to be slightly biased being in attendance. But what was your grade for night one of WrestleMania? Well, first, that that's got, that's the highest grade we've ever gotten from a post. I have to check back to that one Saudi show. Crown Jewel, because that yeah. was really highly graded. I have to well, go see what, about, what that was. Ch- check Full Gear too, because that okay. was the that was Daniel Bryan showing up. That was maybe that too. But this feels like seventy seven percent A's. Wow, seventy seven A twenty two B, and again one yeah. percent C. Yeah, again zero D's and, D, zero D's and F for pre and post is pretty it's insane. Wild. It is wild. so I'm going to give it an A. I'm absolutely giving it today for the reasons I actually just laid out. Everything on this show delivered. There was nothing in it that was not good. Nothing in it that felt like a waste of time. Uh, everything was everything was good to great, and there was a lot of stuff that was underpromised and overdelivered. McIntyre and Corbin had a perfectly fine match. It was, it, it was fine. Miz and Miz and Logan Paul and the Mysterios overdelivered. That was great. We got the Cody entrance. That was great. That match was a lot of fun. Becky and Bianca, one of the matches of the year. Charlotte and Ronda was fine. And then we get Stone Cold Steve Austin doing a hell of a lot more than was advertised. And everybody got to go home happy. It it was top to bottom, seven matches, four hours. It was about perfect. I I, I mean, I guess maybe I should give it an A plus. I just feel weird because I'm only grading one night. You can't give you can't give a show an A plus that has, you know. Uh, the the tag team match that opened well it, it doesn't it doesn't, the, the, it doesn't have a it doesn't have you know it's missing brock roman it's missing the the, the type of you know it for what it was it was exactly what it needed to be it was as it was the best it could be from what it was and i think that's an a i, I think you're missing stuff that happens on night two that could make that a name plus if you put it all together i'm giving it an a yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, I was I was kind of going through when I was thinking about my grade while I was waiting for you, and I was trying to figure out not not a way that I could make it an A minus that I wasn't like actively trying to downplay it, but I was like, it feels weird to me that this would be an A show. But I I just told you guys I had a five point two five and a four point seven five, and those were to me the co main events. 
The match that followed it was very good, even if it was not spectacular. We had Stone Cold Steve Austin wrestle a 15-minute no-holds-barred match against Kevin Owens and do a bunch of stunners and pop me and do a ton of shit in the main event. Logan Paul completely over-delivered. Cody Rhodes debuted. And by the way, every potential criticism, I didn't mention this, about Cody and the way WWE handled it and they're going to bury him and treat him like shit. He's going to come back as Stardust. All that shit got buried. You want to talk about burying something? All those opinions, uh, all that smart shit got buried with him. Logan Paul completely over-delivered. That match subverted my expectations from a booking standpoint. And nothing else, the other two matches that we didn't just mention, neither of those was bad. Like, they'd have to be bad to downgrade the rest of the show. So I'm actually with you, and I'm with the fans. Night one of WrestleMania 38, to my surprise, is a flat A. Really damn good night of WrestleMania. If this was the only night of WrestleMania, would we look at it the same way? I don't think we would. Knowing no. there's knowing there's more to come, including the biggest WrestleMania match of all time, you know, uh, title versus title, whatever the hell they're calling it, a winner-take-all championship unification. Considering that's still to come, considering we still have a lot of other really cool matches on set for tomorrow, you know, that leaves the opportunity for WWE to kind of match this grade, maybe go to an A plus. It would take an absolutely incredible card for that to happen. Uh, but it also sets a really high um, expectation now for tomorrow. Yes, if they don't yes. deliver tomorrow the way they do tonight on night one on Saturday, that's their fault. Like, look, here's the truth. I'm just going to say this now and we can briefly discuss it and then we'll end the show because it's gone long. The main event, it's, I mean, the other matches matter on the show. We need to see really good, you know, all these people show out really well. The women's tag team match needs to get a lo- enough time. Edge and AJ Styles need to, needs to bang without a schmoz finish. But what matters the most is what WWE is promoting as the biggest WrestleMania match of all time, a winner-take-all championship unification. And if in this moment, on this stage, they do not put Roman Reigns over Brock Lesnar, I, I mean, maybe there's a way I like it and I'm entertained by it, But from a booking standpoint, it will be a failure. This is their moment. This is their opportunity to solidify Roman Reigns in the role. Maybe, you know, Vince thought he'd be a white meat baby face. He's not. But he is currently the top star of the company. He is a needle mover like he says he is. This is a chance to solidify it. If they don't do it here, then it will all the goodwill that was earned on Saturday will very likely get wasted on Sunday. Yeah, the pressure is on. For yeah. night two, they, they set an incredibly high bar. And, you know, I, I think last year, if I recall, um, night one was surprisingly really good. And then night two dragged a bit um, until the main event. So I, I, I'm curious how this is going to go, because now we're not going to have as low of expectations. I, I think going in, this was the one we didn't care about Happy Corbin and that stuff. We didn't really know what Logan Paul was going to do. Um, you know, obviously we didn't get the new day match, but we didn't really care about that. We didn't think Ronda was going to be great. They over delivered on that. So now yeah. there's a lot of pressure on everybody involved in night two to live up to that. I I'm hopeful because of the way night one went out, but yeah, it, it, it eventually it's really all going to come down to that main event, how they do it. I mean, think about it. We got a stone. We got a 15 minute stone cold Steve Austin match <laughs> that was, that wasn't advertised on night yeah. one. On night two, we ha- we have advertised as the biggest WrestleMania match of all time. So that th- th- there was no under promising for night two uh, coming in. 
So there, there is a high standard to live up to, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we'll see how it goes. And, and, and my last thing, I guess I'll leave here is with uh, Adam is to, to remember uh, always that wrestling has more than one royal family. That is 100% true. It sure does. And guess what? They're in WWE. <laughs> That's exactly where they are right now. So that is our instant analysis of night one of WWE WrestleMania 38. We will be back tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. But before that, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, most likely. We could possibly change the time. It depends on Chris's schedule when he drives over there, everything. But as of right now, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, we will have live on Twitter spaces, the WWE WrestleMania 38 Night 2 pre-show. It will go for 30 minutes leading into the official WWE WrestleMania kickoff show. So be sure not to miss that. Also, what you're listening to now, it happens to be the second instant analysis podcast that the Silver King taped on Tuesday because my ass woke up, watched NXT Stand and Deliver, and did an instant analysis on that show. That's already in the archives. Be sure to listen to that. If you want a little bit of a preview for WrestleMania tomorrow, go into the archives, uh, go to our WrestleMania 38 Ultimate Preview, Find the timestamp for night two. Listen to that before night two. Do not forget, please, to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Not only so you can join into the Twitter spaces, of course, but you can interact with us, send us comments, questions, uh, participate in the pre and post show polls all around WrestleMania going into the weeks after WrestleMania. Also, before we get out of here, a reminder, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Tell people why you love this show. Tell them why they should listen and subscribe. This is our biggest week of the year, and we badly need your support to help this show grow. I want to thank Vintage Chris Manini for joining me for this instant analysis. He will be back tomorrow for that live pre-show on Twitter Spaces and for the instant analysis on Tuesday next week. We will have the Raw after WrestleMania as well as comments on the WWE Hall of Fame, including the induction by The Undertaker. So still, between now and Tuesday, a ton of professional wrestling audio set for your ear holes. But it is Saturday night. As you can tell, I'm losing my voice. So because of that, the Silver King is going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now. Thank you.